Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, and welcome back to The Business of Marketing. My name is Al Manorino, and I'm the senior producer of the Adweek Podcast Network. Today, I'm joined by Oliver Lewis and Charles Ifegwu of The Fifth Agency. Ali is the CEO and founder, and Charles is the managing director. We are here today to discuss what drives social culture, community, and influence. Charles, Ali, welcome to The Business of Marketing. Thanks, Al. Pleased to be here. All right. Yes, so, yeah. Thank you, Al. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining me, guys. Um, so, the fifth agency, I'm, I'm guessing that has something to do with the fifth estate. If, if I, that sounds familiar, I'm, I'm thinking like, uh, I'm thinking the, there was a movie about that pretty recently, that, a couple of years ago, right? That was. And it's certainly not named after the movie. No, not named after the movie, but it is named after the Fifth Estate, correct? It is, right? Yeah, it is. It's after the, the Fifth Estate, which relates to the estates of the realm. So uh, if you look back across history, in fact, you probably have to date back into medieval France to, to, to get to the beginning of this story. But I guess over history, different realms have been responsible for influencing well, politics, culture, society. I mean, actually, if you go back originally, I mean, and for many decades, really, uh, in politics, well, political power, religious power, the monarchy had huge sway over everyone's lives. So actually, the first estate on record was the clergy. And then uh, shortly after that came the second estate, which was the nobility, i.e. the monarchy. And then maybe a few hundred years later, the introduction of the third estate came along, which is really known as the government or the government as they were elected by the people. And you can sort of see how uh, politics is starting now to be shaped by more of a democratic society as opposed to something that relates um, to a shift in power. And then beyond that, the fourth estate was introduced, which is the mainstream media. I guess the advent of the printing press and the rise of mass media um, really drove that way. And actually, you know, for a very long time, press and mainstream media has had a very big influence over the way that we think and act and uh, and even even consumption habits right but about a decade two decades ago the fifth estate was introduced it's the we think it's the most influential state and realm in culture entertainment politics today and it relates to non-mainstream media so the bloggers vloggers social media creators who really you know today are a huge there's been a huge power and trust shift towards the fifth estate so Therefore, we really, you know, our business is absolutely baked in that in that fifth estate. And we think it really is incredibly important um, to understand, you know, the power that creators and, uh, and social can have today on society. So that's where the title for the movie comes from. The WikiLeaks, the Julian Assange, all that kind exactly. of stuff. Yes, that makes exactly more that. sense. I, I didn't think you yeah. named after the movie, but I, I had to ask. So it's definitely a reference point. <laughs> <laughs> so how does it manifest in and impact current society popular culture, et cetera? Like, how does it really, like, impact it? Well, you have to go back to that point. I was just, you know, just almost talking about, which is this trust shift. And it isn't just a generational trust shift, although it has been baked into, you know, sort of Gen Z culture. But there's some, there's, there's so much data to support this. But one example, recent surveys found that, you know, 70% of 16 to 24-year-olds trust 
creators or their social media influencers, people, people that they follow uh, more than they do mainstream journalists, right? And that's not just as a source of, of news and information, but as a source, you know, a source of trust and entertainment. So there is this trust shift happening. And as a result of that, it becomes more of a media shift and then becomes a real influence shift. So this is about, um, I mean, it's, it's about influencing everything, like we said, from culture to society, but it's all around us, right? How's it manifesting itself? Three examples. Um, I mean, only very recently in the midterms, President Biden invites, what, eight TikTokers to, to Washington, stands, you know, spends what, over an hour with them. He doesn't do that just for a photo shoot. He does that because he thinks that they can have a serious impact over those midterm elections. And, you know, with a combined following, I think, of 67 million, you know, there's, <laughs> there's, no, there's no doubt that they probably have certainly within a generation i think the second example is impossible and been well publicized recently mr beast growth on youtube has what overtaken pewdiepie 112 million i mean when you talk about reach alone it's quite astonishing but it's not just about his reach it's about his business endeavors you know he has incredible charity arm he's a he's a philanthropist really raising tens of millions of dollars for charity he's got his own retail businesses based on the high street and, and social commerce that are raising hundreds of millions i mean feastables did what, over 10 million in, in sales, I think in, in only its first month or so. So you've got someone there that's not just disrupting the high street, but is also disrupting creativity generally. And I think that's the obviously the area that we specialize in is this idea that quality content, production, storytelling can be told in a relatively agile and fleet of foot manner through, through these creators, which is quite disruptive for uh, content production, TV production, film production, but of course it's very disruptive for advertising. Um, and beyond that, you know, you, you can see any numbers of creators, actually, I mean, I think this is quite an interesting juxtaposition because you've got this fifth estate who to, to some degree still crave credibility within the fourth estate. So you've kind of got, you know, YouTubers like Logan Paul and KSI who are chasing you know, mainstream validation to become film stars, TV stars, um, and in their case, you know, sports people. I mean, that, that, that boxing uh, event not too, you know, not too long ago was deemed, you know, the biggest event in internet history at the time. So I think you can see it's all around us. And when we talk a lot about the rise of the fifth estate. We're pretty confident that it's already risen, but it's just going to continue to grow. And, that, and, it, and it forms this broader conceptual shift around um, the creator economy and it's and, and a growing area of expenditure. I mean, the creator economy forecasted to be circa 104 billion in market size this year. And that's obviously quite, quite crazy, really, when you think about it. And that isn't obviously just advertising. And that's why it's important to note that this is, this is bigger than advertising, but it's obviously incredibly influential and impactful on that on that space. And that's why we're so excited about it. And Charles, where do brands fit into the picture? Yes, I think brands fit pretty uh, seamlessly into the fifth estate. If you look at brands, um, you know, as a as a marketing function, you know, let's discuss that first and foremost. Uh, there's just been this well documented fight for attention in 2022 and moving forward. There's more ways, more channels, more platforms to be distracted by. And from a brand standpoint, what you're looking for is a meaningful connection with your audience and leveraging folks who have that embedded trust with their audiences is a natural and seamless way for brands to connect with audiences in a way that they traditionally maybe haven't uh, done so. And, and I'm not saying that to say traditional advertising doesn't work or is dead or lacks efficacy, uh, but I also don't think that there's any doubt that we are currently in the age of commercial avoidance. And any time where you can leverage 
uh, you know, talent, audiences, the fifth estate, um, you know, as we've been discussing it to drive that connection in a more impactful way with the audience. That is a win with the, um, you know, for the brand. So the next question is, how does a brand do that, you know, in a way that, um, you know, that drives that impact and that influence? And, you know, the most natural way to do it is to leverage the tone and the content format from that influencer, that creator, that person that sits within the fifth estate and align with that. But then there's also the distribution piece, right? Uh, you know, every brand marketer is looking for a way to penetrate new audiences and those uh, creators, the folks that sit within that fifth estate have spent a lot of time curating an audience that listens to them, that takes their word, heeds it, and a lot of times they're able to drive action. So, um, you know, for a brand, they lean into that, right? Not try to dictate, but really lean into that tone and use it as an effective di distribution methodology for them. And Ali referenced a stat that I think is really powerful, that trust, right? Because ultimately, advertising where you're trying to land um, is to have a trusted interaction with an audience and have them, uh, you know, take some sort of action, regardless of how top or bottom of funnel you might define that to be. Uh, but with that trust from those folks within the fifth estate comes familiarity, comes impact, comes, uh, you know, eventually influence, which can drive action. So, you know, for for us, what we like to constantly beat the drum on is that there is influence that exists within the fifth estate, but brands should also be looking themselves to be influential. Uh, every brand ultimately is an influencer. So for us, uh, you know, we love to look at the content piece, right? Brands need to come up with a formula, need to have learnings, understandings around what is an influential piece of content, how that piece of content lives within that fifth estate and can drive that influence. So there's a lot of different ways for brands to fit into that picture, uh, but it's just really about being intentional about how you're getting there and what you're doing to arrive at the place you're looking to arrive at. And with the social landscape so fragmented, should brands adapt their approach, including even their like tone of voice for the different platforms and their audiences? Like, How do you balance brand and relatability in these circumstances? Yeah, it's a great question. I think uh, Charles absolutely um, nails part of this in that last section, which is you've got to start thinking like a creator. You've got to take the principles of how creators, influencers, you know, even, you know, activists, and I think there's quite a broad church actually within the, within the whole influential economy. But you've got to think about how they've been able to build such an authentic uh, relationship, you know, two-way relationship where they've added considerable amounts of value to that community. It's not just about broadcasting messages. It's certainly not, certainly not about broadcasting advertising um, and product. It's it's about having it's about adding value, right? And and intrinsically, that means that you need to be entertaining, inspiring. You need to be, as I said, communicative. I think. Um, I think it's interesting across platforms. I love I love the marketing strap from TikTok, right? Which is you know well trodden now. But you you know TikTok make it very clear you don't make ads for TikTok. You make TikToks. Inherently saying that fundamentally you've got to understand the t the format and the tone and the community and the environment with which you're operating within. And if brands don't do that and try and find a one size fits all approach across 
different platforms and, and across the whole social landscape, then you know ultimately they will fall short. You've got to be authentic to that community. You've got to be authentic to that platform. You've got to understand that. And I think if you do understand this and if you do understand that you can be as influential as the creators on that platform, if you do this right, you know, you're not just a jumping on trends. You're not just following culture. You're absolutely leading it. And I think that's really exciting and really very possible. Um, we talk about the three C's, which I'm sure we'll touch more on, but are, are, I mean, the fifth being around creativity, culture and community. And I think they're the foundational points um, that brands need to be thinking about to become relatable to the whole social landscape and that's about understanding that creativity ultimately is something that you uh has become democratized and it's important that therefore if brands are working with creators in this space that they do so with a certain amount of agility and flexibility i think you've got to be very very aware of the culture of that platform and the community and the audience you're trying to talk to before you enter into it and start having a voice as a brand i think that's very very clear and we say you know for brands need to have a be quite introspective and be quite honest about what their position is and own it right i mean there's no point washing yourself with values that aren't reflective of your brand of your tone of voice and of your culture that to some extent that is why brands do lean into creators because they want to borrow that inherent authenticity within a certain culture or a certain um certain community but I think they have to be really, really careful. And you'll find actually that creators but in particular are much more discerning and much more have a much more inherent understanding of when a brand is being inauthentic and therefore they won't work with them and they certainly won't lend their voice to it. So be honest around that. I mean, uh, and I think that if you are and if you're authentic, that can be incredibly powerful. I think the other part around community is about having a two-way engagement, having a real interaction with your audience. Um, and really and really learn and, and understand what it is that makes them tick before you start entering that conversation. Um, it's a great line, actually, that I'm going to borrow from Charles, which is interact before you transact. And I think that's, um, I think that's pretty powerful. I think it's foundational, really, for how you, you should rethink the way that you operate in, in social more, more generally. And I, I want to dive deeper into this a little bit. Charles, what, what do you think brands need to be more cognizant of when working with these types of creators and influencers that you've seen them struggle with? Sure. So I would say first and foremost, in working with a creator, you're trying to build a community ultimately as a brand. Like what's where that's going to benefit you is that if you can tap into that audience and have the audience that is that are fans of that creator um, also align with your brand message, become fans of your brand. Like ultimately that is the big win. So, um, you know, do that with intention, understand that it's not a transaction, but it is instead an effort to build a, a community. Secondly, I would say realizing that that creator's audience cares about them. Like you need to be very cognizant of that. They care about that creator. They care about the type of content uh, that they have come to expect from that creator. So coming to the table and trying to wildly change that is something that will neither be effective, uh, but will probably also go in the other way, both for the creator and the brand. Uh, so you know, really realizing, taking the time, do your due diligence, understand the type of content that that audience has come to resonate with and understand that you coming on board, partnering as a brand means you are signing up, uh, you know, to partner with and create as such. 
I would also say in defining where that win lives in that engagement is know that the perfect mesh point is where you can transmit your brand message in a format that's familiar to that audience, right? So as you're briefing, as you're going through the process of engaging with one or a multitude of creators, uh, really honing in on finding that mesh point, right? Uh, and for a lot of brands, that's tough because it means giving up a little bit of control. But if you're looking for that win in that space, giving up a little bit of control is what you're going to have to do, but also having a well-defined campaign and what you're trying to accomplish. And then again, doing the due diligence as to what those creators create and what their audiences expect from them. Uh, there should be, you should be able to find an alignment there. Uh, know that the creator knows their audience better than you. Uh, as brand marketers, we've been empowered with a lot of tools that pump out a lot of data and we're well-informed. Uh, about what's going out on in the marketing marketplace, but we can never be as informed about an audience that a creator has holistically built a lot of times over uh, you know a duration of years than they are. So really taking some cues, treating it as, as Ali said, a two-way conversation. Uh, let them inform you a little bit about what their audience expects and how to win with their audience. Take those learnings and try to find how that best manifests within your larger vision or your larger goals for the campaign. And I would lastly say, because this is the issue I see most brands um, you know, get caught up with, but know that your brand does not need to be everywhere and does not fit with every creator. And that's okay, right? A lot of brands start and stop in a place where they say, we need to work with everybody they view reach as influence, which is ultimately, you know, not the case at all. Uh, but there are creators that are best suited to work with your brand. Find those folks, build that community, build real relationships with those folks. And, and that's how you'll be able to uh, ultimately win with that type of strategy. But a lot of brands overextend themselves. They try to throw out a lot of messaging around way too many things. They try to work with way too many creators. Um, and it just doesn't fit. And that's very important. I mean, just in the last few weeks, we saw all this drama happening with Twitter, people trying to find alternative platforms like Hive and Mastodon, you know, with so many platforms and ways, ways to connect with consumers, all requiring a different strategy. How can brands stay on top of comms channels and maximize opportunity? Can I be completely blunt? Yeah. Point a good agency. <laughs> no, no, no. I think the um, I think there's any number of ways, but most importantly, the most important aspect to social marketing, creator marketing more generally, is that you don't jump immediately. As I think, as, as as Charles has already pointed out, you don't jump immediately to just wanting to work with creators. You've got to lead with insight and strategy. You've got to understand trends more holistically. That isn't just about the way platforms are evolving their formats, although that, you know, is incredibly important, but it's understanding the types of, you know, the types of formats and their performance as it relates to your objectives. I mean, who knew, right? So something I was reading early, you know, TikTok videos that are longer than 30 seconds, for example, receive almost a 1.7 times higher engagement than the ones that are much shorter. Things like that are intrinsically important when it comes to content production and how you're going to engage with the community within that audience. And then as it relates to different sectors, that data skews and changes across different levels. Different engagement by entertainment, tourism, even transport sectors will vary. 
So I think it's really important that you do, you understand, but you invest upfront in social listening, you invest upfront in understanding insight and trends as they evolve, because it's ever evolving, and it's very fast moving. You know, if you if you jump on a trend, you know, after two days, you're already too late. So it's really important to be up and, and current. And, and in relation to that, there's any number of ways you can do it. But I think intrinsically, it's a human led discipline. There's any number of platforms and technologies that you can augment levels of insight and strategy, but fundamentally, and that's why I, you know, I'm, I'm jesting, but actually to some extent, I'm also pretty brutally honest about it. You know, a good agency that has the ability, who lives in the, in the cultural zeitgeist of social media, has a team of people that live and breathe within those communities and with those uh, and with those trends, then, you know, that's of huge value. And frankly, that means it's quite high resource. It's quite as if it's human led. And that's really our role here. But I think beyond that, you know, and let's plug Adweek, you know, you should really, realistically, if you're staying up, you know, there's an incredible sway the B2B journalists um, that you can follow both as publications and across uh, across Twitter that will keep you relatively well engaged. If nothing else, you could just follow Adam Masiri and, and learn about what he wants to tell you about on Instagram. But I think fundamentally, you, um, you, you just need to make sure you're putting a huge amount of emphasis on that strategy and insight. You know, I think in this space, too often we jump immediately to creators to solve our comms challenges without really thinking through the why and the how. And, uh, you know, in in our respect, as an agency, we very much lead with that first. We rethink exactly the type of strategy and the insight and we really push back on our clients because so often it's quite tempting just to jump into a community, into a format and into a platform without really thinking through that strategy and therefore to your point you know you're not maximizing that opportunity you're wasting it um so yeah i mean i think broadly i think that's really really important and just understanding your audience in any channel is critical so spend time with them listen to them engage with them before you really jump in and have a viewpoint on that i mean one example i read about earlier you know the across the american 63 percent of americans say now that they care about contributing more specifically i think even post pandemic this is even um, increased but contributing to the local communities is far more important to them um, when they're considering now brands that they want to engage and and even transact with so understanding that nuance uh, of your audience and understanding that value exchange is, is pretty critical and every platform approaches this differently and and and, um, and so i think you know you absolutely can't have a one-size strategy across platforms and nor should you look to engage in all if they're not right for your brand. And what do creators struggle with most when engaging with brands? Do you have any like case studies that you guys have done yourselves, like the work you've done previously to help solve issues on that side of the equation? There's some really common, there's some really common pieces here, right? We're in an industry that has generally for a very long time been relatively unregulated and unprofessional. And by that, I mean, you know, and these are, these are common challenges with any growth channel. Um, and I think those, as they relate, therefore, to things around compliance, you know, control, um, payments, you know, it's a relatively um, complex legal framework to engage a creator. And I think to some extent, you know, it was the reason that led us to launching a talent management company in 2020, which was that we wanted to better understand the way that talent think, the challenges and the the lack of, I guess, support professionally. I mean, you know, we're talking about over 50 million creators of record right now um, worldwide. 
you have probably only about 0.5% of those at any one time thinking, you know, considered to be managed or have an, an infrastructure and support network. So I think as an agency that is working on behalf of a brand, you have a level of responsibility to ensure that you're doing things like fair pricing, that you're being fair and transparent around content usage, and that you are really helping to educate and help them to professionalize their own space. Because things around ad compliance are going to only become a much bigger and and harder issue for creators this space takes a bigger share of revenue not least because those regulators have really seen an opportunity with which to clamp down on on high profile talent and i think that will start filtering down into the lower echelons of of um of more micro and niche influencers so i you know from my perspective it's to be fair transparent and and frankly accountable for the whole project you know, there's a lot of emphasis can be shifted on creator did this, creator did that. But I think if you're if you're educating, if you're supporting, then really you get the best work. And I'll tell you the payoff on all of this is if you have a if you give as much emphasis to supporting creators and having a service offering that supports them as an agency, as you do for your brands, the payoff in experience will add huge added value to that project. You know, you can talk about on average creators that have a good experience working with a brand um, will not only will lead towards hopefully future ambassadorial work but actually just on a campaign and project basis we're talking about plus a hundred percent on average that we see of added value in terms of content production um, and, and and that content can obviously can continue to be continue to be uh, produced even after the campaign period's ended I think so added value content you may pay for X number of posts or X, X amount of time, and you might get a huge amount more. So I'd say, you know, understand those struggles, understand that they're small businesses, often sole traders, you know, without really the infrastructure and support. So, you know, we see it as responsible. Uh, and if we're going to have a future, a very sustainable and high growth market that we expect, fully expect it to be, then we've got to take that seriously. Aligning with these culture setters in the fifth estate, what's the secret in being in sync with their audiences while staying true to a brand message? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's a question that most brands are either trying to figure out, or if they're not, they certainly should be trying to figure out. Uh, I mentioned earlier that reach does not equal influence. And I would expand on that by saying, brands, if you're listening, influence is not media. It can't be transacted upon like it's media. Uh, you know, we use this framework here at the fifth, um, the nine phases of influence, right? And I think it's really important because you need to understand as a brand, just because a creator has a lot of followers, that does not believe that that does not mean that their audience believes their perspective or will take their perspective on any subject matter that exists under the sun. So how that falls within our framework of these nine faces is that you need to understand, are you working with a journalist? Are you working with a tastemaker? Are you working with an artist? Are you working with a humorist, right? Because your brand message can be transmitted effectively with one of those people, and it can fall flat with another one of the folks who sits within that framework. So influence is not media. And far too many brands try to 
transact on influence as if it can be measured like media. And it is the biggest failure I see in this space. They don't take enough time to define who has that influence, where they have that influence, and how to push forward that influence. And that is where it does make a lot of sense to have a partner who can help shape that because it is a very specific skill set, if you will. And if you don't pay a lot of attention to detail, you can really fall into various pitfalls and potholes when trying to launch campaigns like that. We also talked about having a two-way conversation. I think that two-way conversation needs to start occurring before you start creating anything. Uh, Some brands, they try to have that conversation after their creative director or their internal creatives have already had their hands all over the things and you kind of end up pigeonholing a creator into creating something that's not wholly themselves. Uh, And for me, I say, you know, a halfway brief is going to lead to halfway output, right? So integrate those creators very early into the discussion. Frankly, you as a brand will learn a lot lot more about your campaign then maybe they might be learning about your campaign because for you, ultimately, you're trying to target that audience and there's no bigger expert on the audience and what moves them than that creator. I would also say, you know, there's a structure for most brands and the agencies that they work with. uh, And there's folks who lead those creative efforts and those creative practices. Uh, I do think it's important to understand and empower a creator as if you were inviting another creative director into the process and into the conversation. Um, You know, when you're talking about launching a creator campaign, again, whether that's micro or or something larger, uh, really having them speak again very early on as to what the creative should be so you can align with the distribution channel, which is an own channel for them. Even if you plan on reusing or multi-purposing that content on the brand's own channels, if there's that through line of, hey, this is how the creator, this is what the creator typically creates. So they are getting to create work that they're really passionate about, that will come through in the content itself. Uh, you know, I view it a little bit like uh, like sports, right? Like you have to align you as the coach, the brand need to put the players in the right positions to succeed. And ultimately that's what a creator campaign needs to look like. You need to set them up for success and pigeonholing them into doing things that typically don't work you're a bad coach at that point and your team's not going to win a lot. So, um, you know, better coaching is something that I would advise from a brand perspective. And then when activating a campaign at scale, uh, know that having partners is important. And this isn't a shameless plug for the fifth, quite frankly. Uh, We're happy to have conversations that elevate uh, the space as a whole, but find a partner. Like if you are not well-versed internally at, running these types of campaigns and it's not something you live, eat and breathe consistently, find partners who are able to shepherd and steer you uh, into how to scope, brief and launch these campaigns in a way that's gonna be uh, very effective. And if you do all those things, quite frankly, it it is still something where, uh, you know, you have to be very attentive to um, the creative process, right? because sometimes you stumble upon great ideas that weren't in the brief, but you know, in working with the creators, they advise you or when launching some of the early content in a series, you see, hey, the audience is really picking this up. The great thing about social is that uh, you get feedback very immediately, whether that be negative or positive. So 
don't be so stodgy and locked into, hey, this is the campaign we want to create. If it's a longer tail thing and you get data, you get input, you get insights that are coming from the audience directly, be ready to be flexible because if you're just running through the finish line and something that has proven early on in the campaign not to resonate with your audience, uh, who are you really doing that for, right? Are you doing it for the sake of uh, just doing what you put out on paper? Or are you trying to run an effective campaign? And we're always going to err towards running a more effective campaign. And Ali, what is the fit between data, technology, and effectively navigating, leveraging the fifth estate creatively as part of a brand's marketing mix? So look, we have a... Um... We have a pretty clear view on this, which is that data and technology is is obviously increasingly important in some areas, but it certainly isn't the whole a whole field. I think for about the last five or six years, you know, there was an arms race for technology in this space. There are a huge number of platforms that could drive efficiency in terms of identification of talent, connecting brand briefs, you know, collating and creating content and getting it distributed at scale quite quickly. The reality is that that version of influencer marketing is is becoming readily outdated. And actually, even, even the platforms will probably quite happily suggest that they're moving more towards a managed service to truly and effectively leverage creativity in this space. I think that the role, the having said that, there is a role to play here for data and technology. It's Important when it comes to two things. One, authenticating and understanding audiences, certainly of those talent and creators. You know, we've at a time where unless you're actually linking, you know, unless you have, well, first-hand access to their creators' data through APIs, say from, from Meta or from TikTok, then you aren't really truly understanding the effective uh, number of followers, reach, levels of engagement, levels of fraud, um, as you really need to. You know, there's a huge amount of wastage in in not understanding that data because effectively a high-level creator that could have, say, a million followers, you could find anywhere between 50 and 60% of those followers aren't engaging with that post or haven't even viewed a single piece of content from that creator for over three months. You know, that's not really, that's therefore based on, you know, even just forecasting deliverables, let alone pricing, creates a huge anomaly in the way that you should transact. So data is really important. Getting access to that data it requires, again, a trust shift and a professionalism in the industry. You know, what we, we stand by a principle that a creator needs to be able to link their social accounts into our technology in order for them to work with us. And there's a simple reason for that, because we want to be able to, one, be able to effectively audit that data, which I think is fair and transparent, but most importantly, probably beyond that, and once you've selected the right creator based on the right data, you have to be able to measure effectively and be able to deliver genuine ROI. This is not a space now that is um, entirely being driven by PR, whereby you know, effectively, you're looking at earned media value as a key metric for success. No, this is a marketing discipline that requires genuine brand outcomes. And if you want to measure those outcomes, you certainly need to have access to, to that data. But beyond that, there's a, 
a real need for human intervention. You know, we, we don't believe that data science and technology can lead this space alone. And I'd even go further and say that this won't be a space that's entirely driven by artificial intelligence either. We believe and uh, intrinsically that if you're going to move creatively, if you're going to move at the speed of culture, then you've got to lead with human intelligence. And that's really our mantra because you know, proving pure influence and driving out business outcomes and being authentic in this space is about personable, relatable storytelling, which is entirely human. It's about understanding trends, culture, which is entirely led by human understanding um, of, of your team. And actually, to some extent, even just measuring the outcomes, you know, human analysis is incredibly important when understanding the shift in, in, in brand metrics, for example, um, for, for your clients. So I think it's really important. Data and technology will, in, will increasingly um, be distributed. I mean, there's, any, there's now over 1,200, I think, at last count, in, uh, influencer marketing specialist agencies, of which you know, over 60% of them really are technology-led. Um, so there's a huge amount of data and technology in this space, but I just think actually to do this right, to leverage real creativity and to drive genuine you know, brand and business outcomes, there's a huge amount of this that requires human intervention and, and human intelligence. And so I think the two have to marry. You know, We talk about influencer marketing being an art and a science, um, and I really wouldn't put an emphasis um, on anything else, which is to say that it's a, it's a true combination of the, of the two, and I'll be interested to see over time how you know more more AI and, and more technology will help to augment efficiencies in the space. And I think there's a lot of efficiencies to be had, you know, around doing things at scale. But it certainly isn't, certainly shouldn't be your leading um, either for your leading principle for either identifying talent uh, or, or measuring it. And my final question for you guys, uh, Charles, you know, authenticity, diversity, inclusion are all big priorities for brands these days, or at least it should be. How can leaning into working with creators and influential voices help elevate a brand's narrative around these initiatives? Yeah, again, great question. And one of my favorite subjects to uh, wax poetically on, if you will. Um, I think first and foremost, from a brand perspective, like brands need to and hopefully have arrived at the point where they know and understand and are acting on the fact that multicultural marketing 2022 moving forward is marketing. Like if you're speaking to any broader audience, like that needs to be a pillar and foundational to what you're doing, um, what kind of talent you're utilizing, um, you know, if you're, if you're production, what kind of uh, you know, folks have uh, a say in the creative product process, uh, audience segmentation in marketing and the data around it, absolutely very important. But the reality is any message that a brand is transmitting needs to make sure that it is diverse and inclusive in terms of the storytelling. And I have a saying that I use pretty consistently, uh, which says authenticity is grounded in familiarity and you can't you know transmit an authentic message if there aren't folks who are familiar with the uh you know basis of that message so when it comes specifically to how brands uh you know can engage folks with influential voices uh that um, are from more diverse backgrounds and can tell those stories authentically um you know it goes back to one of my earlier points that Brands should not be so concerned about speaking 
about everything, but when they find something that they do passionately want to speak about, know that you are not the one nine times out of 10 uh, that needs to have the loudest voice in the room when it comes to speaking about that. And this is where working with creators can absolutely elevate uh, you know, a brand's narrative, passing the microphone, if you will, and giving a platform to somebody who does have that familiarity is a great way to elevate the conversation. And then as a brand, you're not co-opting the message, but what you're doing is you're co-signing and saying, hey, aspirationally, this is what we believe in. This is who we want to be. And we have no problem sharing the stage and elevating a voice who will allow us to be a more thoughtful organization, a more authentic organization when it comes to having those types of conversations. Uh, the other place where a brand can find a win there is when you do that and you do that correctly, it's an introduction to a new audience, right? Which as a brand marketer is something that time and time again, that is the remit for you. Like find new audiences. We need to get in front of more people. And, you know, for too long, there's been this segmentation uh, that, you know, there are campaigns that speak to specific audiences or diverse audiences. And then there's what we do as an organization from marketing standpoint over here. And those two things have a line drawn uh, between them. And I'm just a big believer in that's not the way to market in this day and age, right? Uh, you know, there's a saying, what's good for a business, which is prioritizing diversity, inclusion, equity in your conversations and your content and everything that you're doing as an organization is good for business. So bottom line, you know, drawing in new audiences, driving additional revenue, opening up additional revenue streams. So like, let's remove that line as a brand. You should be looking to remove that line and understand as you invest more in working with, in bringing in, in elevating voices that do have that famili familiarity with uh, more diverse conversations. You're also elevating your organization to do all the things that are probably as earmarked need to be done uh, from a, um, you know, from an achievement standpoint. So Creators offer a really awesome opportunity to do that. Uh, but again, I do believe all brands should be looking at themselves as creators. It does not take an influencer to drive influence. It does not take an influencer to create an influential piece of content. So all those same elements should be uh, drawn into what you're doing with your own own channels, uh, you know, what kind of creative you're looking at creating on your slate and all those things, uh, you know, on both sides of that coin, uh, you should be thinking about those things. Well, Ollie, Charles, unfortunately, we are out of time, but this was so great. Thank you so much for joining me today. But before we go, let people know where they can find you on social and learn more about your work at the Fifth Agency. You wanna go, Charles? Yep, sure. So pretty easy. You can find us at thefifthagency.com. Uh, That's our website. Uh, you can find us at, at the fifth agency on every social platform in existence. Um, and yeah, we're always open for a conversation. As I stated earlier, um, we're here to elevate the space. Uh, so we're certainly not here to say we have the only answers, but if you're looking for answers, uh, and looking for somebody who could potentially help you navigate around the conversations we had today. Uh, we're ready, willing, and excited to have a conversation at any point. Awesome. Where can people find you, Charles? Where can they find uh, you on You can find me 
and LinkedIn. Um, I think I'm the only uh, person with the last name of Fegu on there. So you can, you can find me uh, there um, and uh, on Twitter, uh, Charles underscore says, I post a lot of things about marketing, sports, and a whole bunch of other uh, subjects. And uh, yeah, like I said, I, uh, I'm happy to have conversations if routed through any of our business channels, ask for me and, um, you know, willing to connect. I'll be following you for your sports takes. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it's NFL and NBA. A lot of, lot of NBA. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, lot, lot of NBA, a lot of uh, NFL, and then I'm a Houston Astros fan. We recently oh. won the World Series. So oh, oh, you did. That as well. Yeah, I'm a Yankees <laughs> fan, so at least we kept Judge. I'm very happy about that. Uh, Oliver, where can people find you? <laughs> well, same place, yeah. Please come and, come and say hello on LinkedIn. Um, Oliver Lewis, you'll find me under the fifth. Um, you know, you won't get a huge amount of American sports out of me, although I'm <laughs> learning very fast. I can, however, give you the uh, the override of the English Football Premier League and um, as, as much as possible. I'm also a huge um, huge music fan, so if you want to come and just talk to me about um, you know, bands like Radiohead or um, uh, or, or, or let's even dart back to some great British English indie like the Smiths or the Ver- yeah. Stone Roses. Then let's bloody go. Perfect. Um, so go. yeah, I'd, li- I'd love to, love to have a chat. But you know, uh, LA side, Charles is absolutely the man on the ground, and um, yeah, we're, we're very excited to be in the market. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for Ali, for Charles, for myself. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Business of Marketing. Take care. Thanks, Al. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Business of Marketing, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and Acast Creator Network. This podcast was produced by me, Al Manorino, executive produced by Chris Ahrens and John Heil, and edited by Lane McGivney at Boutwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcast. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcasts. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com.